Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and I'm joined here today with one of our co-hosts, Brent. How's it going, brother? It's going very good. And today, we're going to talk about the essential characteristics of effective church planters. Now, before we dive into this list too quickly, I wanted to bring some clarity here. While church planting and church revitalization is happening at really almost everyone's church revitalizer now in a season after COVID, Mm -hmm. replanting is a little bit different in the sense of you're looking at a church that has all but died out and they're they're trying to turn the ship around uh, i mean they're they're going to have characteristics that's going to be similar to a church planter but there's going to be some distinctions as opposed to churches that are sliding and declining but are not completely died out yet you know what i mean so that's one of the distinctions but i would actually argue that these are still 13 characteristics that are necessary to turn any church around, that the pastor must possess these things and hopefully see some of that in their leadership. So let's mm-hmm. let's get going on the list here, Brent. Give us the first one. So the first characteristic that's uh, that's given here is a visionary shepherd, and the way that uh, that they define visionary shepherd is that this is someone who has the ability to sense and see God's next steps for a congregation and the capacity to lead the church forward as a loving sh- as a loving shepherd, excuse me. He is patient, wise, strategic and relational. So, this is an important step for multiple reasons. One, you sometimes have people who have vision but they're not very good with relationships, right? So you're going to need somebody who's good at that. And then sometimes you have people that are good with relationships and not so keen on the vision, right? And so coming those two things coming together is a bit of a rare breed, but a necessary breed in, in the church's life, right? Well, with church planners especially, I think there's, there's like this built-in um, visionary code, I guess you could say. You know, church planters are definitely visionaries. There's no doubt about it. And sometimes maybe they struggle with, the relational aspect, and that could be the same, I'm sure, in replanting. Yeah, and so going forward for replanters is not going to mean just returning back to everything we know as it should be, mm-hmm. right? And that's always sort of the hard thing as a church losing its vision. Second thing will be gospel orientation. This referring to the aligning of the culture and practice of the church in such a way that the core doctrine of the gospel drives its mission and practice to preaching managing conflict and leading organizational change so let's just kind of back up here and talk about these three things real quick first of all how what is the difference between preaching that is gospel oriented and preaching that is not gospel oriented well preaching that is not gospel oriented probably well let's let's look at this in the context of churches that we might be familiar with or churches that we might come across here in Appalachia there's there's probably going to be there's not probably there is going to be references to the scripture mm-hmm. but the sermon is not going to be derived um, primarily from the scripture there's going to be um, it's it's going to be very topical and that's not to say that it's impossible to be topical and biblical I'm just saying that it's going to be very topic driven um, there's going to be probably more references to things outside of scripture than there are in scripture 
Yeah, I would say this too. I, I call them skyscraper sermons, mm-hmm. right? So it's story after story after story, yes. and not, a lot of times not even real point to it. Yeah. There's a lot of stories that are in there together. Uh, in the 70s, there was a big push for a type of preaching called preaching like Jesus. And I would push back against that and say, we can't really preach like Jesus because it's sort of like the WWJD bracelets, right? Everybody loved those back in the 90s. But, you know, you can't do everything like Jesus does. You can't walk on water. You can't rebuke fevers and they go away. You can't cast out Mm -hmm. demons with your voice. You can't calm the sea with the storm. So, you know, Jesus generates truth because he's the source of truth. So it's really impossible. So the the call then for a preacher to be faithful is to that message that has already been handed down. Not to try to generate things on your own. Second of all, we would say managing conflict. What is the difference between a gospel-centered conflict management versus a non-gospel-centered conflict management? Well, it's definitely it's, de- it's definitely similar to the preaching in the sense that you know non-gospel-centered. You might have references to the scripture, but with with gospel-centered conflict management, um, you're going to you're going to be drawing your strategy. Um, you're going to be drawing your examples of how what is the precedent in Scripture for um, this issue. Now, there may not be precedent, there not, may not be a direct correlation between um, the conflict over the color of the carpet to anything in Scripture, but there are situations where we see conflict resolved in in Scripture, and so being able to draw from the examples of the early New Testament church, but of course, um, drawing from drawing from the rest of Scripture um, in in context is is really what we're talking about when we say um, a, a gospel centered um, conflict resolution, less focused on on the outcomes that men may desire, and more focused on the outcomes that Scripture would lead us to. Well, the world has a way that it deals with conflict, mm-hmm. right? We've seen that in everything from university athletics, you know, letting coaches go and the way they let them go, mm-hmm. to uh, how the, the the political stage and how politicians handle conflict. Mm-hmm. And none of it is really a model for the church. Right. They may borrow from the church to try to help with different aspects of it. I'll, I'll recommend an author, if you're not familiar with gospel-oriented tools for conflict management, uh, those of you who get the Avery Baptist uh, monthly, or excuse me, quarterly newsletter, there is a section in the Deacon Toolbox on how to handle that from Ken Sandy and his ministry, Peacemaker Ministries. I would highly recommend that book if you're trying to think through that with your church. Uh, Something else here, too, that we see is, in addition to being that, organizational change. So I guess this is a question of what do you change, Mm -hmm. you know, and and why do you change? How do you determine that, Brent? And I think that this, for pastors in our area, I think that this can be maybe the most dangerous one. I think think for good... Bible-centered preachers and even even guys that are well-equipped to handle conflict in a gospel-centered way, this is the one that's most tempting to sort of maybe stray from the Scriptures because what society, what the outside world offers can be um, so enticing. Um, the, the opportunity to draw an easy crowd from doing things that may not be wrong, um, necessarily, they may not be anti-biblical necessarily, but they may not be part of what uh, God intended for His church to be doing as it seeks to fulfill His mission. So I think this is the toughest one. Um, 
or maybe the most tempting one to stray from uh, being being gospel centered. But um, you know, some non gospel centered modes of of changing would would definitely be changing the message, of course. But even um, even how you're reaching people, um, you know, this this may be controversial to some. I, I hope that it won't be, but. I think as church leaders, we're often tempted to do a bait and switch. Mm. Bait them in with one thing and then hit them with the gospel, mm. kind of unexpected. And I don't really find that in Scripture. I don't, mm. you know, I don't really see Jesus doing the bait no. and switch. And so for me, that's something that our churches can be incredibly guilty of, and a lot of times maybe unintentionally, of let's bait them in with this and then let's see if we can put our hooks in them with the gospel when they get here unexpected. And that can actually be a bigger turnoff than it is anything else. And so when you're looking at making changes, are we changing just for the sake of maybe drawing people in, doing this bait and switch? We'll, 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 we'll get them here with the pizza, but then we'll keep them with the gospel kind of thing. That doesn't often work, and it's, it's an unbiblical model, and that's why it doesn't often work. So when I'm assessing... How do I know what to change? This is what this is a rubric that I learned early on in my ministry that I found helpful. Uh, any anything in the church that needs to change must survive the three wives. Mm. So you know we need to change the carpet. Well, why? Because the carpet's gross; it can't be <laughs> clean. Why is that? There's a mystery stain from 1974 that looks like a murder scene. And when visitors come in, they get the concept that we murder people here instead of help them to live for Christ. Well, why is that? Because the building needs general updates to show we care about our facilities, therefore we care about our people. Mm. So, you know, there's multiple whys that it has to survive. And that kind of helps me sometimes prioritize. You know, if it can only survive two whys. Yeah then maybe this is not the time to do that. And sometimes people die on hills they don't need to die on, mm-hmm. you know. And so you just really need to hone in on what is truly important. All right, the next one is missional focus. Talk to us about this, Brent. So the the definition that's given here, um, replanters with a missional focus make it a priority to equip and mobilize the congregation to live their life on mission in their community and beyond for the sake of Christ and his gospel this is really a mindset of the church Mm -hmm. this is what you know the difference between a church planter and a replanter is this a church planter is creating culture a replanter is reshaping culture it's a big deal and it's a big difference Uh, a lot of baptist churches particularly southern baptist churches believe themselves to be missions minded but Mm -hmm. Failing to do missions. Yep. We've seen this several times in a lot of churches. And and being missions-minded simply means writing a check. Mm-hmm. And while that's good and we need checks written and we need Absolutely. to support missionaries, we got to hold the line, so to yep. speak. Like, But there's a difference. Well, you, you, can, you can agree or disagree with me here, but just these first three that we've looked at, visionary shepherd, gospel orientation, and now missional focus. I think that it's possible that you could be in a situation that needs replanting and already have a visionary pastor. There's probably an issue with follow-through. Mm-hmm. but And you can be gospel-oriented to some extent. You can have gospel-centered preaching and, and conflict management. In the church. And the, um, yeah. the changes that you have made, although they're probably very few, could be gospel-centered. But if a church is at the point of needing to be replanted, 
there probably is not a missional focus. Yeah. Not 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 a not not a proper missional focus. That's to part your of the, point. What landed him there? Yes, in absolutely. A, in that position, so it's it's a reorientation. Now you've got a story about one time a member came to you and you were talking about you know reaching a particular people in your community and uh, I think she kind of rebuked you, didn't she? Do you mm-hmm. remember the story? Will you tell that story to show that the missional mindset that finally in mission well, focus that came out. No, I was probably thinking about a separate story oh. than what you were thinking about <laughs> you, whenever you said. You were talking to me about uh, uh, a uh, lady that came to you. You were uh, trying to reach, I think may have, it may have been kids, getting them to church. I can't remember. And you were saying, well, we got this hurdle. We got this obstacle. You know, it's going to be hard to get this. And, and your member looked at you and said, those sound a lot like excuses, Pastor. Are we just making yes. excuses? Yes. And, you know, you got rebuked yes. by your yes. own member from a missional focus. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, you don't, like, you don't like being the one called out for making excuses. And, uh, and, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it was children's ministry. We were, we were talking about the hurdles of, of youth ministry and bringing a youth pastor in. And um, and that was exactly what she said. You know, all of those are just just excuses. You know, mm-hmm. and so um, it, that it, it's you don't ever want to be the pastor making the excuses, but it's also rewarding when you see that sort of missional focus, that missional understanding taking root in such a way as if if this is what God's called us to do as the church, then there's no excuse not to do it. Right. Okay, this next one might be a little painful for us to talk about, but let's go ahead and dive into it. Organizational awareness. That is simply meaning that a replanter with organizational awareness is adept at understanding how power dynamics work within the church, anticipating how change will be received, recognizing where change may produce friction, create, or as I like to tell my deacons, here's where the rub is. Right. That's what I tell them when I'm predicting it. And showing an awareness of how current practices and changes affect their position within the community in which they serve. So organizational awareness. Uh, it is amazing to me how many times really church members just don't always know how it's going to affect. And then also there's some church members that are like oracles and can predict. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we do it at Grace is when I'm trying to figure out what the organizational awareness is, I don't just get up in front of the church in a business meeting and say, here's what we need to do. Yeah. Because you might as well just hand everybody a shotgun and you hold a target. Yep. <laughs> because you're just going to get shot to pieces. Yeah. I tend to work in phases. So I take you know a small group like usually staff and I and I work with them, and the objections they have I know we're going to see echoed. Then I go to a little bit larger group like the deacons or mm-hmm. the uh, we have a long range planning team. Mm-hmm. You know and we take it to that team and then we we sharpen it there, and then even after you do that, there's always blind spots, but you can have most of the blind spots covered yeah. before you go to the larger body. Would you say that's true? Absolutely, and and this may just be a good time to say. If you're replanting or revitalizing, you're not going to do it alone. No. And so it is important to have a team of people, a group of people around you um, to, to help bring out some of these 
skill set, some of these mm-hmm. traits we're talking about. Um, but but the reason I bring that up here is because every church is structured different, you know, and we we do it the same way in, in sort of groups. Um, it starts with our church development team. Um, it goes to our deacons, and at the very least, before it comes to the full church, we have buy-in from multiple groups, which are going to represent multiple demographics, age demographics, and everything else in the church. And so there's already buy-in from a bunch of people because anytime you start to make changes or anything like that, anytime you have a business meeting, there's always the after meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And buy-in doesn't really happen in the business meeting. No. Buy-in happens in the after meeting, in the parking lot meeting, as some people call mm-hmm. it. And so if you have a buy-in from enough people in the pews that are going to the parking lot after and people are starting to throw around these ideas and sort of digest them for themselves, um, that's one, you are going to be more aware of what's going to go on in the parking lot, but you're also going to make sure that what is going on in the parking lot is... Um, is favorable to the direction that God is leading the church. Right. I couldn't agree more. All right, this next one is one of my personal favorites on the list. of, And I think Jimbo Stewart made this list, and mm-hmm. this is his term, but I like it a lot. And that's pastoral grit. Mm-hmm. I like it because I like to think of myself as an old gunslinger from the West. So <laughs> it's my, it speaks to my heart, right? You've heard people say that. This, yep. this one speaks to my heart <laughs> as an old West gunslinger who sits in the back with a wall to his back like any gunslinger yep. would. Uh, pastoral grit is the ability to persevere through the inevitable difficulties of replanting and remain steadfast to shepherd the church forward as God uses the replanter or the revitalizer to turn a dying church around. Hmm. This may be shocking. I don't know who all listens to our podcast. I think we have some laity that listen. Yeah. And I know we have some pastors. It's a mixed bag. I was visiting a church family the other day, and I haven't even had a chance. We may do a whole podcast about this, but we're about to hit a pastor shortage. I don't know Mm. if you know this or not, but there's a massive amount of numbers of boomers that are going to be retiring soon. Mm. There's not enough Xers or Xennials like my generation. There's not enough millennial pastors to take that position right away. And I was sharing with them that a lot of people that were in my class in seminary weren't even interested in going yeah. to an established church. And these these two members of my church were just astonished, like, how could they not be interested in an established church? And I had to explain to them, I kind of used the terminology that we saw down at the replanter to help them understand. Sometimes young pastors look at these established churches that are in need of a lot of work, and they see them like a tangled ball of Christmas lights. <laughs> you know, what's easier? Do you just go to Home Depot or to Lowe's and buy a new set of lights, or do you spend hours trying to untangle yeah. this mess that was left last season? Either you left or the kids left, but somebody left for you. And uh, and they just they just rather go buy the new lights and trash the old ones, yeah. you know. Yeah, because the hits are coming, mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard. Now you know, let's be honest. Church planting is no better roses either. Church planting no. is going to have its hurdles, but there are some things that's going to be easier about it. You know, uh, church church uh, revitalization and replanting. You're trying to sort of take a plane apart and reassemble it while it's in the air. Yeah as opposed to trying to engineer it first and then get off the ground and planting. You know, it's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. And it takes perseverance to work on a plane while it's in motion. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Absolutely. You know, Nam, this this article is is through Nam, but um, one of the one of the ways that um, Nam breaks down the church replanting 
and they've done this at some of their um, workshops down there. Actually, the last one we went to together, but is kind of the, the four keys or the four parts of successful church replanting is to preach, pray, love, and stay. Mm-hmm. And you know that to stay requires this pastoral grit. And I want to say this because we're going to have a podcast, and I'm not sure if it's going to have already aired by this point, but I have a friend, Red, Dr. Reggie Weems, who has been at his church in Johnson City for 30 years. And he wrote his doctoral dissertation on managing transitions to extend pastor tenure. Mm. And so if you have not heard that episode, either tune in or go back and listen, because I'm not sure exactly what order these are all going to come out in. But you're definitely going to need to listen to that one. It's kind of funny. In one month, we had one episode about leaving a church well, and then we're having another one about how to stay in church a long time. So, uh, you know, sometimes God uses both. All right. Uh, next thing here is also critically important, and it goes right along with pastoral grit. Brent, Absolutely. What is that? Yeah, that's that's spousal perseverance is um, the way that the, the author puts it here. But that that's really just that's the pastor's wife, um, you know, possessing a love for Jesus and the church, um, being emotionally and spiritually prepared for the challenges that are going to come with replanting a dying church. Because you, as a pastor, you're not always going to be the fan favorite. No, and uh, and and your wife is very prone to hearing the negative things that the quote unquote fans have to say about the pastor, and that can be hard, and it can be frustrating when she sees how hard you labor and work, and sometimes there's not a lot of immediate fruit to show for it, and so that's that's what this spousal perseverance is about. And there are times as a pastor where. There's things you know, and it would probably be in your wife's best interest that you don't tell her, not because you're trying to hide things (laughs) from her, but our wives are protective of their husbands, and and we don't want to make staying difficult for them always. Yeah. So that's that's good. Next one is a resourceful generalist. Now, this is kind of a weird one. A resourceful generalist possesses the ability to speak into and lead in a variety of areas in order to lead the church well. There is no task that is beneath him. Yeah. So this one probably gets on our nerves. More than any of the rest, yeah. maybe you know what I mean. Well, you know, <laughs> at the, least for me. Well, the tough thing about this one is, I mean, especially in our context here, if if you're replanting a church, this is not a big church that you're replanting, and so there is definitely no job beneath you because you may very well be the one cleaning the toilets to get ready for Sunday morning. Pastor, somebody <laughs> left a gorilla finger in there and it will not flush. <laughs> And I know you got to preach in five minutes, but we got visitors here, right? <laughs> exactly. But and here, but here's how here's how I would here here's how I would say this could be helpful for a pastor in that type of context. And just using an example here, so for one of our really big, important, successful ministries that we do here, um, and and this may seem crazy, but just taking time to stop and look at every area of this ministry all the way down to the purchasing of T-shirts for this ministry. And and the reason I bring that up is, is I found that we were spending about three to $600 extra a year on T-shirts just because we weren't doing a good job of planning. Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to say as the pastor, okay, one, I've got sermons to preach and toilets to clean. Um, I'm blessed. I don't have to do that here at Minneapolis. Or I don't. Clog. I don't want. I don't want the lady who does an excellent job 
cleaning our church to make to accuse me of taking all the credit for our well clean church. But it's really easy when you have all of these other responsibilities going on to say T-shirts just are what they are. Mm. But and they are just T-shirts. But for us, it was somebody who had just been doing the same thing for years and years and years and hadn't ever thought about how to be more efficient. Well, now we've got six hundred more dollars a year that we can either pour into that ministry when it comes to teaching and equipping the students that are coming in for that ministry, or to go somewhere else and for some other type of ministry. And so, when I read that, that's sort of what I thought about how I could relate to that. Just you don't want to you don't want to overburden yourself, but um, just just don't sweep things under the rug because they seem insignificant or or whatever. Yeah, what wears me out about this one personally is uh, I have a construction background. And, uh, you know, I came from a brick and block contractor. I had to labor when I was 16 years old out in the hot sun, which, by the way, is the closest to a slave in a modern (laughs) 21st century capitalist economy. Uh, And I, I never realized that God was prepping me in this particular area as a pastor because I have had to deal with more building issues, more land acquisitions, more, you know, just things in those categories that, quite frankly, were never taught or never dealt with in seminary, then I've got more hours on that than I would ever care for people to know, yep. you know, and it's it to me at times it feels like a hard distraction, but at the same time I have to ask sometimes who else can really do this yep. and look at this, so... All right, we're going to have to cut this into two parts. We're going to we're going to end this one here and then we're going to come back and hit the next one. So thank you all for joining us. We hope you'll catch us next week as we talk about uh, the remaining, let's see, we, did we get six done? Close yes. to six there. We, we hit the back six here. Uh, and so thanks for joining us again. Uh, please listen to our contact information. If you have a topic or something you would like for us to address, please email that in. Or I think you can even voice, uh, like send us a mm-hmm. voice message through there. We'll play yes. it on here and, and add that clip in as well. And just for the record, we know we showed an episode where Matthew Jacobs kind of said bye lately. We're still going to have him back on the show here and there because, you know, the divide of, of miles is not a big deal on the Appalachian Baptist Network. Just ask Neil Nelson, who joins us occasionally. I so. wonder if Matthew's position on how far south the Appalachia region stretches has changed now that he is in <laughs> South Alabama. <laughs> yes, I think it probably has. So, so join us next time. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.